Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce in the chair as ever and joined by Christy Doran of Fox Sports and the 15. Mate, uh, how are you? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Very well. Moved into the new digs. Uh, so it's good to be close to the, the footy stadium, driving past it every day at the moment. And Jesus, looking good. Yeah, as we mentioned last week, a bit of a shame it's not going to be ready for the England test in Sydney, but uh, by all reports, we'll be ready for the Springboks game. Uh, and you can imagine that it's going to be a fantastic occasion come September. Mate, let's get into it. Uh, we're going to start with your big news breakout last Friday. Uh, well, not confirmation, I guess, but as good as that, uh, that Tom Banks is poised to head off to Japan on a deal worth uh, north of $1 million a season. Um, look, uh, it's sort of been rumoured for a while you've been across this. Um, so I guess, mate, to, to start with, just fill us in on exactly what you know and, uh, and how this has come about. Yeah, so I, Tom Banks... I think, I think it comes down to more the fact the Wallabies. Who is the who is the Wallabies fullback and who, who does Rugby Australia think the Wallabies fullback is going to be? And there's three or four and we've been debating it for a long, long time. Now, the question then becomes, well, how do you keep them all? Because it would be great to keep everyone. Unfortunately, when Kirtley Bill comes back, when you re-sign Jordan Pattaya, the slice of the pie becomes smaller and smaller all the time. So naturally plays with pace or with the form of X Factor are going to be chased after, looked after. I'd known for a little while that there was a bit of interest about him and, and that was came in the form of, of Cannon and I believed a second division side of, of which I wasn't 100% sure. But um, it's it's been reported today by the Herald a couple of days later that it could be Honda, that it, that it could be you know, up to $1.4 million a season. It's it's a ridiculous sum of money. It's a sum of money that Rugby Australia won't be able to get close to. Uh, they wouldn't be able to get close to a million dollars or perhaps even $500,000. The interesting thing with Tom Banks is that Rugby Australia, a couple of years ago, absolutely wouldn't have thought that Tom Banks was his starting fullback when they had hoped Israel Folau was going to be here until 2023. They had hoped that Dane Hadlett-Petty, who was on good coin himself, was going to be staying around for a number of years. And the two of them through um, you know, termination of contract as well as concussion end up out of the game, leaving Tom Banks to start at 15 a lot. And from an incentive-based contract for a bloke that had only had a handful of caps under Michael Checker, all of a sudden becomes the first choice fullback. And yes, he missed a bit of rugby, um, missing the spring tour with a broken arm last year, but he played probably six, seven, eight, eight caps as well, seven caps starting at, at fullback last year, played in 2020 in the first year of Dane Rennie. So his stocks went up massively. And I know that RA were keen to keep him. Dave Rennie's a big fan, um, but he's got a decision to make. The, the question I'd be asking is how much money would you be prepared to, to keep Tom Banks? Because... Is he in the calibre of an Israel Folau or Michael Hooper or those sorts of guys that would have been upwards, you know, either side of a million dollars? Is he in that echelon of player? You're exactly right, mate. And I, and I don't think he is. He hasn't proven himself. And we've spoken about this a, a number of times last year that um, he's really yet to excel at test level, isn't he? I can think of maybe only one or two games where you would come out thinking, you know what, Tom Banks was in the top five Wallabies players tonight. He just hasn't been able to find that same consistency at test level that he has for the Brumbies. And he's been one of the best, one of the Brumbies' best probably for four or five years now. The pace that he has, his ability to get on 
the outside of uh, of the defence and really use that speed to, to open up the backfield. Um, but he's been consistently found out, excuse me, uh, under the high ball at test level. And we know that is such a feature of international rugby that if your fullback isn't comfortable uh, leaping into the air to take those high balls, um, box kicks, uh, midfield bombs, whatever you want to call them, uh, and the proliferation of them these days, uh, he just hasn't been uh, been comfortable in that position. And and you're right in saying that, um, you know, rugby Australia just doesn't have the ability uh, to uh, front up with north of a million dollars a season. So for Tom, I mean, it comes down to that, that age-old decision, doesn't it, for players of this level. Um, it's the ability to, to potentially set themselves up for life after rugby against that absolute lure of, of wanting to win trophies in the Wallabies jersey and and be a guy who, who plays upwards of 30, 40, 50 tests and be remembered as, you know, one of the game's greats. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting situation. It, yeah, and there's a couple of things in this. There's one that he missed out in the Selection 2019 World Cup, and I wasn't surprised by that at all. He's not a winger. I think he's a bit like Jock Campbell, where I don't think Jock Campbell's a winger. I think he's a good fullback. Um, and similarly, I don't think Tom Banks is, is a winger. I think he's a reasonable fullback. Um, you made mention of, yeah, a bit susceptible under the high ball, and there might have been one, one or two instances there at a test level. I think it's beyond that. We, we as the, the watching public get to see his pace, which is great at super rugby, and it's good because you see a lot from the Brumbies and you see the Brumbies score quite a few tries, and he's a focal point there. When you've got a young 10, you know, reasonable centres, um, a lot of the attack is around getting the ball to the fringes for Tom Banks to burn players on the outside. Now, that doesn't happen at test level. Players are faster. They're the best of the best. You need to have a point of difference. And, and if you don't, you need to be very much, you know, not just a jack of all trades, but damn good um, and mastering many. I don't think that Tom Banks at an international level masters many at all. I think he's got pace, but does he have explosiveness off the mark or supreme footwork like a Damian McKenzie. He doesn't. You know, Damian McKenzie's not great under the high ball too. But what he does is he's got playmaking ability. Absolutely. And he's also got a, you know, a, just as good a kick as, as Tom Banks. But he's also got footwork and footwork at the line. Now, I don't think that Tom Banks has either of playmaking ability or footwork at the line. And if you don't, and if you're not an Israel flower in the air, you've got to be able to do one of the two others. And that's why Kirtley Beal is a, is a player that has um, will consistently be in the attention of selectors because he's got playmaking ability and he's got footwork at the line and a, a reasonable kicking game. You know, he is susceptible under the high ball like quite a few others. Um, but what does Jordan Bataille have? And that's a point that Tom, um, James O'Connor made to me last Tuesday. Jordan Bataille has got this great ability in the air, an ability that he can do freakish things off kickoffs or restarts, which is what we've seen recently, taking balls a little bit like Israel Folau may have. Yep. But he's also very strong and he's got footwork. Um, not much playmaking ability and kicking is getting better. Apparently he can kick up with some 65 metres now. I'm yet to quite see that, but he's got some X-factor ability about him. So interesting to see what cards the Wallabies and Rugby Australia play now that Tom Banks is seriously considering Japan. And because if he does sign and there go, um, foregoes an opportunity to play at a first World Cup, I wouldn't be selecting him against England. Because that was going to be my, 
my next question, mate. But before we get there too, he kind of fits that perfect player for the Japanese top league, doesn't he? Or League One, as it's called now. That a little bit more open. We know the competition is over there. Certainly more than Super Rugby. We keep hearing that it's getting a little bit more physical and intense all the time. But um, it'll really suit the way he plays the game uh, and being able to open up um, those wider channels with the speed that he has. Now to your point around how does it change the selection process for this year? It's really got to throw open that position even further than it already was if Banks does inside to does in fact decide, sorry, to uh, to make an announcement and and go before that England series rolls around. Because you're thinking that uh, even with the three players that Dave Rennie has the ability to choose from uh, overseas, Tom Banks isn't going to be among the first crop of three. Uh, at this stage and probably wouldn't come in in the first six, you wouldn't think. So surely you, if you're Dave Rennie, you're thinking, well, how do you weigh up that decision? Okay, he might be the best option now, but is he really the best option? Or does that outweigh the opportunity to get, say, Jordan Pattaya three extra tests against England or, or to bring Kirtley straight back in? We know he's got some hamstring injuries, I believe, at the moment. Um, that's really going to change the nature of that decision, isn't it? Says the cat amongst the pigeons there. Oh, just to begin with, the, the point you made about him being able to carve up Japanese rugby, I, I said that to a player agent last week, and they made, a, I think, a valid point, which was Tom Banks looks good when he's got good players around him. And, yes, he's got pace, but has he been, you know, you look at Lenny Ikatao, Simone's a reasonable player, Noah Lolosio, Nick White, and a good forward pack. It's a, it's a lot more difficult to get space uh, and to be put into space when you don't have fully professional players playing week in, week out um, beside you, like you won't have in Japanese rugby. You just don't have, you know, a lot of them are amateur players, particularly if you go to a second division club. As to England, it's it's a really interesting one. And it's a question that many people would have been asking. Do you try to win every single next test or do you plan for six months, 12 months, 18 months? You know, the World Cup by July will be 14 months away. Um, there might be, say, 20 tests, you know, probably no 14 more. this yep. year or so, and then maybe six before you get to the World Cup next year. 20 tests, um, do you want to waste any? That's the question. But you probably really need to win this July series for the momentum of the game, for the confidence, for the confidence of the coaching staff, um, to, you know, to to stop the rod against England who you could be coming up against in the quarterfinals. Do you, is Tom Banks more likely to get your win? He could be. Oh, you know, if you, run out, if you run out to a good start, a strong start, and you get two new up, yeah, you probably make the switch for the third test. Um, is Jordan Bataille that much worse of an option than Tom Banks? I don't think he is. I think there's some, some strengths to his game. I was pleased to see Tom Wright get given a go at fullback on the weekend for the Brumbies against Fiji. He had a couple of good touches. I think Tom um, Tom Wright has got playmaking ability about him. And I think he looks, he's the sort of guy that occasionally tries to do more because he probably doesn't get enough touches out in the wing. And he looks a bit lazy and a bit clumsy, but he's someone who can do things with the ball and make stuff happen. I'm not saying he's a, a Wallabies 15 contender, but I think it was a good, good to be able to see him get get a couple of touches and a couple of, couple of games there. You know, gun to your head, who are you deciding? I would probably go, if Kirtley Bill's fit, I'd probably go Kirtley Bill 15 if Tom Banks is going overseas to find out a bit more about Kirtley, but I think you need a win. Um, I think it would allow you to play Samu Karevi at 12. 
um, and have a really strong confrontational midfield to get over the gain line, which would help Kirtley. Um, but I think Jordan Bataille is, you know, we're going to see more and more of him. Potentially, Doc Campbell now, he gets an opportunity potentially. He's a guy that's pretty seamless, has a good combination with James O'Connor. It could come down to combinations whether or not, you know, Tate McDermott, James O'Connor start. Because if they do, you could see Hunter Pasami at 13 and Jock Campbell at 15. It just helps with the continuity. I think it's too early to know, but it does change things, the complexion of it massively if Tom Banks goes overseas. Yeah, as we mentioned uh, last week around James O'Connor at number 10, these matches against New Zealand opposition starting uh, weekend after next with Super Round, of course, are going to be really telling in the makeup of those uh, those final Wallaby selections, you would think, if uh, if Jordan Bataille comes out and plays the house down against um, all those Kiwi franchises and Moana Pacifica, of course, as well. Um, it's going to make a compelling case to... Uh, to uh, potentially throw him in there at some stage during England. Mind you, you can imagine how Eddie Jones would be licking his lips and just exactly how he'd whip up that uh, that press at the head of the first test if, or a couple of days even if if the Wallabies were to go with Jordan Pattaya there. But uh, certainly one to watch uh, over the coming weeks. Um, but we're going to move through pretty quickly today uh, because it was a lighter round of, of Super Rugby uh, from an Australian perspective, uh, given the Reds and Waratahs are on the bye. But I um, want to look a little bit more at the New Zealand games on the weekend. Uh, personally, uh, I had a good look at them as I was laid up, of course, still in, in COVID isolation as a result of the wife. Um, so I got to watch both of them intently. And I tell you, I was just mightily impressed with uh, the Blues and Chiefs. The Blues in particular, of course, shutting out the Chiefs 26-0. A real intensity, a real uh, ferocity around the breakdown. Um, and then executing ruthlessly when it came to their attack. And, and great to see Bowden Barron, sorry, Bowden Barrett even, um, back playing and playing so well after earlier in the year, it looked like he could potentially be, be lost to the game for good. It, yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing to watch this space about Bowden Barrett, with his um, concussion, how he's come back, how he's come back after even COVID. He said that he struggled a little bit after that with his breathing, being able to get fully back. Um, Tell me, like, this discussion is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, Richie Moana, Bowden Barrett, how, do, you, do, you try to, do you try to squeeze them in? Because we saw the Crusaders have a, a great game. I think it was against the Hurricanes, um, scrape over the line there. Um, what happens with that? Because it was an issue come 2018-19, and it still remains an issue around not just at, at 10, but also at 12 and at 15 for the All Blacks. The entire machinations of this All Blacks backline, I don't think we've seen it quite this uncertain for, for some years. I mean, you, you throw, you lock, obviously, Aaron Smith in at nine, and then from 10 onwards, I think, are completely up in the air because we've just seen Geordie Barrett shift into number 12 the last couple of weeks for the Hurricanes, of course. Uh, Liam Napier for us uh, highlighted Will Jordan's performance uh, for performances, sorry, for the Crusaders this year in his column on ESPN.com a fortnight ago, saying how strong they'd been. Uh, he's got Leicester flying Anuku, of course, playing really well down at the Crusaders as well. Jack Goodhue to come back, I think, in the next few weeks, played club rugby, uh, my understanding was, uh, in Christchurch at the weekend. Um, Braden Enner in there as well. Roger Tuovas no, in the background. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think we've, we've seen this kind of makeup, uh, this uncertainty around the makeup of the All Blacks back line. Uh, for some weeks, uh, sorry, some years, uh, Anton Leonard Brown getting injured at the weekend. The fear is that that could be a lengthy uh, stint on the sidelines. 
for him. Um, so really, about a check that comes into the makeup, and you know, there's going to be talk about what to do with him because he hasn't just come over to super uh, to, to rugby to play super rugby, has he? So, absolutely. What, what 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 do you think? You know, we know that Fozzie and Foster's under a huge amount of pressure, um, a wave of pressure really yeah. around inconsistency. They're coming off back to back defeats now. The series against Ireland is going to be an epic one. Um, it's a really big one for Ireland to stamp their authority, perhaps blood a couple of more players as well. Um, we know their extraordinary reliance on on uh, Johnny Sexton there. But what do you think Fozzie would... You know, we can't get into their minds at the moment, but where do you see that going? Because it could derail them if they're not sure and they have to continue to experiment, much the same way that maybe the Wallabies do it at 15, but the good thing with the Wallabies, you know, if there is a good thing, is you can actually start to go, well, these players are playing. You know, you're locking them in almost unless they're injured, whereas that's not the case for, for the All Blacks. No, you're right, mate. And I think, you know, we haven't probably heard too much about the Moanga Barrett debate so far this year, of course, because Bodie has been out with those concussion issues and had the extended break to come back from, from Super Rugby Pacific to to begin with. So you're only going to see that ramp up in the, in the coming weeks at, at this stage and going just by how he finished that last, the end of last year, Barrett, um, before he got the head knock, of course, against Ireland, I think he was probably uh, just shading Moanger at that point in time. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the nod as long as he stays fit uh, in the coming weeks and, and gets the chance to start there against, against Ireland. But um, you know, number 12 is a, is a really problematic position for them. Um, I still, I was thinking over the weekend, how on earth they let Nani Lamapi go overseas. I mean, uh, we've seen the, how successful um, hard-running ball carries at number 12 are, how important they are at this this phase, if you like, of, of how international rugby's being played. And um, here he was, a guy who was, you know, I think only played maybe about 15 or 18 tests and and was never really given that extended crack in the number 12 jersey. And I just wonder how many New Zealanders right now, if they had the opportunity to to bring Nani back, um, would jump at the chance. Um, it's it's a bigger mission for mine. You you wonder. I think it was 2020, first year of Foster, where they experimented with Jack Goodhue going to 12. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they did, and I reckon yep. that's a missed opportunity because he seemed like an out and out 13 to mine. You know, had a had had performed well there, had gone to you know played big Test matches. Um, there was the conundrum around what to do with Anton Lennon Brown, but to me, he, you know, he, he, I think, is better at the 13, but could go into 12. Um, it's the risk you pay when you're trying to put too many players in and move them around, and they're not in their best positions. I, I think they also probably saw Ken Jack Goodhue get to a, a Ma Nonu kind of level of the game and. Don't know if he could have, and and you can't do that in one season. Nono took years to get to where he was. Um, the great thing is Crusaders and Blues this weekend. How good, Good Friday. There's not a hell of a lot else to do on on Good Friday, so uh, probably the quietest day of the year. So, um, and I think the weather, uh, albeit uh, certainly in Sydney, is not looking all that flash again. Shock horror. Um, so uh, yes, uh, settle in for that one. I think must be the five o'clock game. On Good Friday, uh, mate. Let's wrap up. Uh, just mention um, Super W Grand Final uh, joining Super Round next weekend. I think it's a fantastic result. There was concerns, I think, um, originally around the 
the surface at Amy Park there taking taking too much uh, too much traffic, and we've certainly seen it break up in the past. I remember last time uh, England were out, uh, it was uh, absolutely appalling, but it, it seems to have been fixed. Certainly the Rebels haven't had any problems with it from my memory over the last few years, but that's a great result for the Super W competition. And we're going to have Britt Mitchell on next week to uh, to preview that final. Um, and of course, the Fijian, Fijiana drew up rather uh, going undefeated through the regular season uh, and by all uh, likelihood will face the Waratahs and that decider next weekend, but a, but a great result. Yeah, totally. I, I just, you know, memories of James Haskell there down in England with the scrum. He's still probably smiling or at least having a few jokes. You're right. Good. It's good that, you know, you get to showcase some of these bigger games because the last two years, not just the Wallaroos and the Super W sides, but very much the Australian Sevens teams, obviously a, a first class one with the men and the women. Um, a real opportunity to showcase Australia's talent. Like you look at Emma Tonegato on the weekend, and mm. um, you know, just last week she gets the, the the female women's you know Dalian medal. I think it's still called. Um, yep. Emma Tonegato has been a class act in Australian sevens. I wonder has she been in Australia's top two players though of sevens? I don't think so. I think you know Charlotte Kaslik and Vani Paliti um, have been probably Australia's two standouts in the last five years, but. That's a great reflection about, isn't it, where Australian women's rugby is at and the performance, the high performance there, the what you can get when you have a um, a professional system. Um, so fingers crossed, for a, a Super W final. What it can do, do is, you know, showcase it, put it up in lights because we're seeing the effect that the women's um, NRL is having. Um, it's more of a tasty prospect for people with with TV and so forth, but. Yeah, I think it was Emma Tonegato who was asked the question, you know, what would you savour more, you know, an Olympic, um, Olympics or, or playing in an RLW final? And, and she was kind of laughed it away a little bit, said you can't really compare the two. But women's rugby is still a, a giant force because there's nothing that can compare to the Olympics for a lot of players. Now, yes, the Super W is a, a slightly different thing, but there's players that can play there, transfer, you know, the Mahalia Murphys of the world. Um, but Fijiana and the Fiji side are, are playing some good rugby at the moment and we've seen many highlights and many a, a good calls from the likes of Andrew Swain. Absolutely, and uh, interesting to note the weekend, uh, Wales and England, I think it was, at, uh, at Gloucester in the Women's Six Nations, a full house and the stadium was, was absolutely rocking. So they're probably, and certainly England and France, are just that, uh, that little bit further ahead in their uh, development of, of women's rugby. Uh, and that's where uh, the Wallaroos and I'm sure the Black Ferns across the ditch previously been uh, on top and, and World Cup champions. Um, they, they got absolutely hammered by England and France late last year. So uh, exciting times ahead for women's rugby. And we'll, as I mentioned, we'll, uh, we'll have uh, colleague Britt Mitchell on next week to talk about uh, that final uh, down there in Melbourne for Super Round. Uh, mate, that's us for today. Rapid fire. Uh, happy Monday. Thanks again for the time. I'm pretty sure this is how you wanted the start of the year, so that's great. But um, good to join, and a big one next week. Like Waratahs, Western Force, that's a really big game, and I know that that's one that Darren Coleman circled in going, that's a must-win for their um, you know, finals hopes. So lots to get around for this weekend. Absolutely. Enjoy the footy.